0: Hi everyone, Andrew here. I got a little behind with editing this past month, so I'll have two episodes this month. Before we start, a reminder that if you haven't done so already, a review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice really goes a long way, and I'd appreciate you taking the time to do so. In this episode, I am visiting with Dr. Gopalan from Banner University in Phoenix to discuss bariatric surgery in patients with heart failure. He shares an interesting experience and perspective of working with morbidly obese patients who are declined from heart transplant due to their obesity. We discuss the risks of the surgery and the benefits of bariatric surgery on functional capacity. I thought it was super interesting and hope you do so as well. Thanks for listening. This is AP Cardiology, and this is your host, Andrew Perry. Thank you for meeting with me today, Dr. Gopalan. Can I have you say your name and your title for our listeners?
1: Thank you, Andrew. Um, I'm Dr. Radha Gopalan. I'm the Medical Director of Heart Transplantation, Mechanical Circular to Support Total Artificial Heart um, and Advanced Heart Failure at Banner University Medical Center in Phoenix, Arizona.
0: Perfect, thank you. I am visiting with you today about a topic that doesn't get a lot of attention, Um, We had some questions about uh, regarding bariatric surgery in patients with heart failure. So to frame our discussion, I'm going to present a case. Um, We saw a 55-year-old woman with obesity, a BMI of 38, who is insulin-dependent diabetes and hypertension, and she presents with a few months of exertional dyspnea and fatigue. Uh, During her workup, she ends up getting an echocardiogram, a resting echocardiogram, demonstrating a normal ejection fraction of 55% and the diastology, when you look at it is most consistent and suggests elevated left atrial filling, uh, left atrial filling pressures. And so she's um, put up with a diagnosis of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Uh, As a lot of people know, the uh, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, there's a lot of these patients are fairly obese. And so my first question for you is how obesity, Uh, can contribute to heart failure, uh, both preserved and reduced ejection fraction?
1: So the obesity, so I'm I'm glad to note that you had uh, framed the BMI at 38. Um, And it's actually, that falls into morbid obesity paradigm. Um, So heart failure has different ways of looking at obesity. There is a, um, so I'm going to quickly just give you an overview of how we look at patients with heart failure who are obese. Perfect. So obviously we like patients who have a BMI less than 30 and ideal would be ideal for our situation. But when patients BMI fall between 30 and 35, we have this uh, obesity paradox concept where the obesity itself appears to protect these women uh, and men uh, with regard to the effects or adverse effects of heart failure with regard to mortality and morbidity. But once we cross, most of the uh, studies of retrospective analysis have shown that once you cross the BMI 35, then the adverse effects are enhanced or increased. They don't do well from a morbidity and mortality perspective. Their hospitalization increases, their um, deterioration, the trajectory and rapidity of clinical deterioration increases, and they just don't do well. Mm-hmm. There are several reasons for that, and I think that is, uh, that is still being explored. Having said that, how does obesity contribute? One of the issues, especially looking at obesity, it's a metabolic uh, uh, disease process. So as a result of metabolic alterations, especially these patients tend to have other comorbidities, such as obstructive sleep apnea, Diabetes mellitus, either insulin dependent or non insulin dependent, and hypertension. Um, uh, and when we looked at these, um, interestingly, you framed your, uh, the, the patient at age 55. So, hypertension, men tend to have more hypertension under age 45, and then women start getting more hypoten- incidence of hypertension in women uh, increases as the age increases and then they surpass men after age 65 in having hypertension hmm. so as a result of it if you extrapolate that they have uh, preserved uh, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction incidence higher as the age progresses in baby. but having said that the the molecular etiologies and pathways that leads to uh, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction in men and women with obesity, is still in the exploratory phase where we are trying to figure out what pathways exactly leads to heart failure as such. So in a a clinical experience, we come across both. Uh, We do have patients who have uh, morbid obesity and don't have heart failure. And we do have patients who have Uh, obesity and have heart failure. So obviously obesity is one of the contributing factors, but we are beginning to think obesity is a manifestation of of a similar uh, molecular and neurohormonal pathway that leads to heart failure. So we are in the clinical phase as specialists are looking to see The obesity is as much of a manifestation as heart failure is a manifestation of probably the same underlying molecular pathway alterations or genetic alterations. Now, that is the thought process.
0: Interesting. So I guess that frames that concept a bit differently as opposed to obesity being a risk factor and perhaps a driving causative mechanism. But you're suggesting that there may be a, a separate underlying mechanism that results in both Obesity and heart failure. Is that correct?
1: Correct. And that's, I think, what what I'm trying to say is that the mechanism that drives obesity also contributes to heart failure rather than you have to first develop obesity to have heart failure.
0: Gotcha. Very interesting. Okay. I had not heard that. So, related to obesity, it's hard to uh, help patients and guide them along weight loss programs and strategies. Um, through either uh, lifestyle, pure lifestyle changes, and or assistance with medications, and that's where bariatric surgery has come in and has been a uh, a huge player in patients, at least in terms of non-heart failure patients, just a pure obese population, in helping um, a large amounts of weight loss and sustained weight loss over long periods of time. And so, one question with these. Um, overlapping paradigms of obesity and heart failure is a question of whether a bariatric surgery um, in patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction uh, would improve their clinical outcomes such as heart failure hospitalizations or and or even survival interesting question so
1: one of the things that so as you can see uh, in heart failure the obesity now is in the radar for us Especially in our program, we have been successful in performing um, uh, bariatric surgery in patients with severely reduced digestion fraction. Those are patients who are normally turned down by most of the bariatric programs as being high risk. So, as a result of this, and I'm I'm going to share with you some of the observations as an advanced heart failure guide and the difficulties we have faced, which will sort of set the tone for the the subsequent discussion. Mm -hmm. So, what we find is that we have Women and men, mostly women, and I'm going to say most women tend to, uh, there is the incidence of obesity in women is more than in men. And most uh, women who have obesity, because of the physiologic differences, they tend to have more uh, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction as opposed to men having heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. That's because of the physiology difference. The physiology difference is one of those that has been identified being. Women with obesity uh, or even without obesity, any stresses, afloid stresses as such as hypertension or other uh, afloat stresses, women tend to develop concentric hypertrophy as opposed to men who have eccentric or eccentric hypertrophy of the heart. So there's a difference. And eccentric hypertrophy mostly leads to systolic dysfunction and concentric tends to at least at the initial phases before it becomes burned out um, uh, results in preserved gesture fraction, but nevertheless both are heart failure mm-hmm. what we had felt uh, and experienced is that these tend to be young men and women between the ages of 30 to 50 who unfortunately develop heart failure mostly my world has been exposed to Reduced ejection fraction. That's when I get patients sent for me for transplant evaluation. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they are not transplant candidates if their BMI is more than 35. Mm-hmm. So, most transplant programs in the country, it is, a, it is an exclusion criteria to transplant. That is based on the database that came out of uh, International Society of Heart and Lung Transplant, where we looked at patients who, obese patients who underwent heart transplantation they had increased complications and their morbidity and mortality was higher compared to people who were not obese. As a result, we draw the line at BMI of 35. So what is the next step when these patients who have what we consider end-stage heart failure to improve quality of life and extend their life? Naturally, we gravitated with the development and advances of mechanical circulatory support we gravitated to implanting uh, mechanical circulatory support, especially left ventricle assist devices in these patients, mm-hmm. hoping that will improve their ability to lose weight because it will improve their functional capacity. Mm-hmm. But most of the retrospective studies, the finding is the opposite. In other words, their obesity worsened. Oh, interesting. After the implantation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So as you know, uh, perceived exercise capacity was not the driver of obesity. It just the behavior of the patient. They just, even though they were able to exercise, it just didn't get done. And uh, there mm. were other factors that was uh, restricting and limiting the patient from going through it. Mm. So we started seeing these patients with left glasses device who are now not candidates for transplant. Mm-hmm. Still, even after being implanted with the device, they don't lose weight to a BMI less than 35. In fact, they started having more complications of the device because of the very obesity when it increased in size. The abdominal girth increased. And you know anyone who had seen a left ventricular assist device, they ask, the device itself is implanted within the chest cavity but there is a driveline that's connected to the device that comes out of your belly, abdominal wall, yeah. to be connected to the batteries of the driver. Mm-hmm. We, what we experience is when the abdominal girth increased with increasing obesity after device implantation, their complications of driveline infection increased. Mm-hmm. And when they had driveline infection, at some point in time, we were not able to rescue them from developing sepsis and device infection, subsequent Mm -hmm. hospitalization. So we started seeing young patients with morbid obesity die without a doorway or a pathway for them to actually go to Mm transplant. which then left us to think about, hey, how about we make them lose weight by bariatric surgery? Sure. And then the barrier there is that most bariatric surgeons won't touch these patients, even if they had a left ventricle assist device. From a cardiology perspective, we cardiologists think once you have a device, your circulatory system is taken care of. So you you should be able to go for the surgeon. We will clear that. But surgeons are not familiar with it, and they will decline these patients unless the surgeons are working with a heart failure specialist who can then support them. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. So we are seeing nationally, and I'm sure internationally, more and more patients are uh, undergoing bariatric surgery in collaboration with, uh, b- with the collaborative work between bariatric surgeons and uh, advanced heart failure cardiologists. Hmm. Uh, that's what happened in our center. We have performed uh, in excess of 50 uh, bariatric surgeries in morbidly obese patients with reduced ejection fraction and if I counted preserved injection fashion, the number is even more. Mm-hmm. We have performed bariatric surgery on patients' left ventricular assist device. But here is what I want to comment on. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing that has been published and being looked at is we had few patients who were transplanted. The barrier to transplant for them, they were evaluated in transplant programs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the barrier to transplant was the obesity. Mm -hmm. single barrier and the patient was told you get rid of this you'll be a transplant candidate Mm -hmm. they were referred to our center we successfully got them through bariatric surgery their bmi dropped to below 30
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and what we found out they are no longer transplant candidates for another reason because they are doing much better
0: Uh, interesting okay
1: so they don't need transplant so that allowed us to look at the benefits of bariatric surgery Mm -hmm. so when bariatric surgeons and most of the programs follow these patients with regard to their other comorbidities Mm -hmm. where we found heart failure improves the requirement for diabetic medications decrease after Mm -hmm. bariatric surgery Mm -hmm. the requirement for the amount of antihypertensives for these patients significantly decrease or even Eliminated, Mm -hmm. and most of the obstructive sleep apnea patients don't even require CPAP anymore. Mm. So, if you look at the benefits of it, it's multifactorial, not just not requiring transplant. So, as a result, there are initiatives in most robust bariatric programs to start doing developing bariatric surgery as a strategy to even treat these comorbidities
2: Hmm. and
1: influence these comorbidities rather than looking at obesity as a, uh, as a secondary product of uh, these comorbidities. I think they coexist. So going back to our, you know, initial conversation about obesity and heart failure, I think the underlying mechanism is perhaps very much linked together and heart failure is not a result of obesity. We just happen to find that. Now, the question one Mm -hmm. might ask in the academic world, so how about patients who don't have heart failure uh, who are obese, right? Sure. And that question needs to be answered. And I think I don't, we don't know whether it is a matter of time. It depends on how long you have had the heart failure, uh, obesity, in order for you to manifest heart failure. And the other is, what degree of, other comorbidities that coexist in an obese patient. Mm-hmm. We have not teased out that fine-tuned information to be able to answer that question.
0: Interesting. I'm certainly no expert on this topic, but I do recall coming across um, some data to suggest that, that bariatric surgery in obese patients does prevent the, or there was a reduced likelihood of developing heart failure in the future for some of those patients. But Of course, I don't know any of the caveats from that data or how, um, or some of that. Um, But going back to what you said to kind of go some more specifics is, so we had, so you're seeing uh, patients who end-stage heart failure, not transplant candidates because of their obesity. They end up getting a bariatric surgery, losing weight. So they go from greater than BMI of 35 to less than 30. And then it sounds like most of them or a lot of them have an improvement in their functional class to the point where they're no longer transplant candidates. Um, does this also come with a an improvement in, in more objective signs like their, uh, in terms of ejection fraction or echocardiographic parameters or even um, like measured exercise tolerance? Um, do you have any data or experience there?
1: We don't. We are actually. I mean, that is a great question. So I think. One of the things is the, the, the two parameters you just mentioned, ejection, pressure, and excesses, and functional capacity, right? Mm-hmm. These in heart failure world are two main factors we focus on to predict longevity,
2: mm-hmm. right? So yes. the, the
1: question actually, in fact, extends into asking, does this bariatric surgery and l- loss of weight with its associated improvement in other comorbidities produces longevity uh, indicators for these patients do they have increased uh, imp- have they improved their lifespan by ha- losing this weight mm-hmm. something that needs to be looked at but functional capacity significantly increases our experience when we when these patients who are transplant candidate the single most parameter that the transplant centers use to tell them that you are you are too well for transplant is the functional capacity
2: mm-hmm.
1: we do cardiopulmonary exercise testing Measuring the maximum uh, or peak VO two, which is one of the cornerstone of decision making process for transplant. Mm-hmm. In most centers, if the VO two is less than twelve in patients who have uh, who are being treated with beta blockers for heart failure, that's an indication to consider transplant workup. If it is more than twelve, then that is kind of the cutoff. The way we don't, we continue to manage them medically. If they are not on beta blockers, then the cutoff two maximum VO2 is 14. Mm-hmm. So if it is less than 14, you will be worked up for transplant. So that we have seen improvements. And I think across the retrospective analysis, um, across the, uh, uh, the literature world is beginning to see that improvement. Um, I, To my knowledge, I haven't seen a prospective Uh, study that did cardiopulmonary exercise testing before and after something that we are designing at our uh, program Mm -hmm. Uh, an ejection fraction uh, anecdotally we have seen improvement in ejection fraction after the uh, bariatric surgery most bariatric surgeons will perform surgery in patients who have an ejection fraction more than 30 Okay. without involving a heart failure guy. They are comfortable because the patients, it's lapar, most of the surgeries now are laparoscopic. They are not open abdominal surgeries mm-hmm. with very little fluid shift. So they are comfortable performing the surgeries. But when the ejection fraction drops below 30, most of the patients get turned down. Mm-hmm. And what we are beginning to see, if the ejection fraction is less than 20, the chances of recovery of ejection fraction tends to be less compared to the ejection fraction is higher, if more than 30. Mm -hmm. So in other words, what we are beginning to look at is if there is moderate LB dysfunction, I don't think we can still define very clearly from an ejection fraction perspective. But I think what we could do is talk in terms of moderate versus severe LB dysfunction. If sure. there is moderate LV dysfunction and the weight loss efforts, including bariatric surgeries, instituted early, there is an increased potential for recovery of the LV function, mm-hmm. as opposed to waiting till severe LV dysfunction occurs. And the reason in our world is most likely fibrosis. Sure. If... Irreversible fibrosis has happened in the heart. Reversing that process and recruiting mechanical ability for the ventricle to contract, even if you reverse the underlying neurohormonal molecular pathways sure. that resulted in obesity, doesn't seem to produce a robust results. Um, so these are areas of exploration, great areas for research and studies and that we are looking at
0: very interesting very cool um one last little question just to be clear it sounds like this is also safe for these patients so you had some patients you've had a lot of patients go through this procedure and their outcomes and their surgical risks are acceptable like they're not a prohibitively high surgical risk for undergoing these uh, for this uh, surgery
1: yeah have a great question so Yes. So if you look at, you know, one of the things we do in cardiology is risk assessment for non-cardiac surgeries, right?
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: um, every resident and fellow and internist and cardiologist are called upon by surgeons and say, I need clearance. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you, you, our job is to assess the risk of developing cardiac complications during the non-cardiac procedures.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What we found is that I have not excluded any patient with, who had heart failure with reduced ejection fraction based on ejection fraction. In other words, we have performed bariatric surgery in patients who have an ejection fraction of 10%. But we have a process. Mm-hmm. Okay? And we have successfully um, got them through the procedure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because as I mentioned, it's a laparoscopic procedure. What we do is we get the patient ready, prepared. So a couple of things happen. And I want to, since we work with the bariatric surgeon closely, and I'm in the operating room at the initial phase of anesthesia uh, with the bariatric surgeon and anesthesiologist watching these patients. So the process we utilize at our center is if a patient has an ingestion fraction less than 25%, mm-hmm. we bring the patient in. And if they have demonstrated and confirmed heart failure, we admit the patient a couple of days before, and insert a PA catheter to measure hemodynamics. Mm. That way, we assess because, as you know, in obese patients, all your clinical examinations out the window. You can't even get a trans thoracic echocardiographic images that tells you exactly where the patient is. We yeah. cannot look at the RV. It's hard to look at the IVC diameter to evaluate volume, and more mm. importantly, we have no idea but the cardiac indexes to, mm-hmm. to uh, supply the obese patient. Okay. So we do a PA right heart catheterization with hemodynamics. And then based on that, if their cardiac index is less than 2.2, we place them on inotropic support. Okay, so they're being prepared with inotropes. Mm-hmm. This is under 25% ejection fraction. And if, once we document normal cardiac index and diures them to a CVP less than 10, Mm -hmm. and if they don't have RV dysfunction, they go for surgery. Okay. Because during surgery, the most feared time is two, two instances during surgery. Mm -hmm. That's what you have to buy. If you get the patient through those two instances, most of them go through the surgery without a problem. The first one is when you put the patient in reverse Trendelenburg. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when you put the patient to prepare for the surgery on the surgical table, there is significant reduction in venous return.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: B- because of pooling of blood in the veins
2: yeah. due
1: to the position.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So at that time, the preload to the right ventricle is reduced, and as a as a uh, uh, consequence, the preload to the left ventricle is reduced. And mm-hmm. as you know, based on our you know calculations, the stroke volume is reduced. So cardiac output is reduced. They become hypotensive, mm-hmm. and they have a tendency to develop arrhythmias. So that is one. The second instance is when the bariatric surgeon introduces air into the abdomen to separate the bowels and to be able to mm. see clearly. That mm. increases intra-abdominal pressure,
2: mm-hmm. thereby
1: further reducing venous return by compression of the veins and inferior vena cable. Yeah. This is the two main barriers that I have to get my patients through.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Once I get them through, after that, the procedure proceeds unimpeded to a successful outcome. In our experience, we have not had a single complication in the OR or have lost the patient during the admission for bariatric surgery. I have okay. lost patients afterwards because mm-hmm. of non compliance and progressive heart failure, mm-hmm. but we have not lost the patient perioperatively because of, a, of considering high risk.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. Very interesting. I, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut uh, off there, but really interesting discussion, really cool experience to hear about what uh, you're doing there with bariatric surgery and heart failure patients. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about this. Sounds like you have some interesting um, studies and data collection that, that you're working on right now. So looking forward to hearing and reading more about it.
1: Thank you, Andrew,
0: and uh, I wish you good luck with the continued service that you're providing to our
1: young physicians.
0: Cool. No, I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks again, and hopefully, talk with you again.
1: Thanks for having me. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of AP Cardiology. This show is sponsored in part by MedPage Today. You can find transcripts of this episode and all other episodes of AP Cardiology on MedPage today.